0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Cardiff Reader Podcast. I'm Benedict Garman. If you missed episode one, I spoke with Ben Stewart, the author behind Don't Trust, Don't Fear, Don't Beg, the thrilling true story of the Arctic 30. On this episode, I meet with Steve Howell, author of Over the Line, a timely novel if ever there was one, a thriller set against the backdrop of the Rio Olympics with an athletics doping scandal at its core. But enough from me, let's hear it straight from the man himself. (laughs)
1: Right. Uh, Over the line is um, set in the future. It's set on the eve of the Rio Olympics, and the central character, Megan Thomas, is an athlete who's the sort of poster girl of the of the British team for Rio, favourite to win gold medal, very popular, very successful, and everything seems to be going for her. But then some events in her past come to the surface. The police reopen an investigation into the death of an old school friend of hers who's died in a steroid-related death a couple of years earlier. The parents have been lobbying for the police to look afresh at it because they didn't feel it was properly investigated in the first place and the circumstances. And the police want to speak to Megan uh, to establish what she knows about this boy's death. And then on top of that it emerges that she used to go out with and is still in touch with another boy who uh, was a rugby player and who is banned from playing rugby because of use of steroids and he also is someone the police want to interview and so these events two years earlier in her life in her home town which is newport catch up with her when she's moved to london and she's become very successful it then becomes a story about guilt by association suspicion and how she is going to face up to mistakes that she's made in her past and whether or not in fact she's guilty of anything the story then unfolds around from there but there are quite a few twists and turns after that it's uh it's, it's very similar to the furore surrounding Mo Farah and his coach isn't it it is quite uncanny how this story around Mo Farah has has evolved and indeed the story around Paula Radcliffe as well which is slightly different in the sense that it's not so much to do with guilt by association it's more to do with the fact that someone has leaked blood test data which shows abnormalities but which has been released without the circumstances of that testing being understood The whole uh, story about Salazar, who's Mo Farah's coach, Uh, didn't break until the Panorama documentary in June. And, you know, Mo Farah has then been caught up in a sort of guilt-by-association thing because of allegations surrounding his coach. And obviously there is a parallel there with my story, an uncanny parallel with my story, in that with Megan, my character, is very much about guilt-by-association and suspicion and how you disprove a negative, you know, how you prove you didn't do something. Wouldn't it be easier... You
0: know, should athletes reveal their drug test results?
1: Well, the thing about this is that in order to have a robust testing system, you've got to have the goodwill and confidence and support of the athletes. Otherwise, they simply won't take part in the sport, because why should they if they feel that their confidential medical records are going to be shared uh, against their wishes with the media? Um, So what my feeling is, firstly, I think the Sunday Times... They've come into possession of information that's been leaked. Now, in my view, it was unethical for that to have been leaked in the way it was in the first place, but I understand why that happened. Uh, It happened because of lack of confidence in the sports governing bodies. But then the Sunday Times have taken that information and used it, in my opinion, irresponsibly, in the sense that they've created an impression from that data that's somewhat misleading. Because what the data actually shows you, even based on the Sunday Times reports, which I've read closely, is that the introduction of the biological passport by the International Athletics Federation in 2009 led to a substantial reduction in abnormal tests. So what actually the story is from that data is that the athletics authorities are winning the battle against doping, blood doping that we're talking about here, not uh, steroids. so that's, that's the first thing. It was actually used in a misleading way. But the other thing is that the historical data that applies to Paula Radcliffe was in a period when this kind of testing was still in its infancy. And there was a lack of understanding of the effects of circumstantial factors on the results of the test. So, for example, if it's very hot, uh, if it's at altitude, uh, and if it's shortly after a race, you can have abnormal readings not because someone has been blood doping, but because of those circumstances. Now, that's not to say I'm uncritical of the International Athletics Federation. I'm, I, you know, I think they've made mistakes, but uh, I think it needs to be put in context. I think this pressure on athletes to give out data and for people to infer that if they don't give out data, personal medical data, they're somehow guilty, is akin to McCarthyism.
0: Is doping on the increase, or has it always been a problem and it just gets more coverage now, do you think?
1: Athletics, and to some extent this is true of cycling as well, is a sport that's far more vulnerable to cheating. another sport because the difference between success and failure is you know hundreds of a seconds in the case in the case of sprinting and you know seconds in the case of middle middle distance events and also within athletics there isn't as much money as there is in other sports so unless you're really successful unless you're you know a world record holder and a gold medal winner and so on there isn't really that much money uh, in the sport to earn so the temptation to cheat and the pressure to get beyond just being an also-ran, you know, getting to the semi-finals or maybe just creeping into the final but, but not getting among the medals. The, the pressure to find some way of moving yourself up from fifth or sixth best in the world to first or second best in the world is enormous. I don't say that to condone cheating, by the way, but it does mean the sport is vulnerable to cheating in a way that other sports aren't. Having said that, actually, I think the problem in, for example, rugby of the use of steroids is uh, is actually far greater and far more widespread and far less has been done about it and it's only in the last 12 months you've seen that really surfacing as an issue i think athletics has had a problem for a longer period of time and over the years has done more about it but uh, of course um it's difficult to keep ahead of the cheats
0: certainly seems to be the case do you have any sort of personal experience of drug abuse with your history in sport i mean i'm not Suggesting an effect. Well,
1: I'll give you you a number of examples. Uh, I I haven't literally seen anybody injecting themselves with steroids or or sticking a tablet in their mouth, but not so much through my involvement in athletics, but through my knowledge of the local sort of uh, scene in terms of gyms and bodybuilding and, and things like that. I know that teenage boys in my local area, Newport, quite commonly use steroids. I've got three children, two sons. Both of them insist that they are, they've never used steroids, um, but they say that their school friends have. And uh, in my younger son's year, he reckons that fifteen to twenty percent of the boys in his school year were using steroids. And in the research I've done for the book, you know, asking around amongst people in the in the world of uh, sport and gyms and bodybuilding in uh, in Newport that's been confirmed I mean you know I've spoken to quite a few people and and hardly anybody doesn't agree that there are a whole number of gyms in Newport where steroids are readily available and uh, where it's quite common to find teenage boys who are on steroids and, and older men as well um, so the, the scene I describe in my book of one of the gyms I'm, I'm assured by people who've read it who know that world is, is very authentic I've also spoken to people in the medical profession who confirm all this as well. So, so would you say it's a cautionary tale? The book is meant to be an entertaining thriller that hopefully will be people will enjoy reading as a piece of fiction in its own right. Uh, and it has, to, it has to stand up on that basis. But I do hope that the issues it raises will stir some debate and lead to... Some positive action around more the question of the health risks of steroids uh, because you know cheating is an important issue in in sport, but the far bigger problem for me is the fact that there are thousands of t- young teenage boys who are using steroids totally oblivious to the risks that they 're taking and it 's so widespread now that the public health authorities will tell you that They're seeing more boys going to needle exchanges because of steroids than because of heroin. You know, it's become the number one problem as far as needle exchanges are concerned. And there isn't yet a full understanding of the health risks. There hasn't been enough research into this. It's generally believed that using steroids leads to heart trouble in later life. And there are quite a lot of cases of men having heart trouble Uh, having heart attacks and women who have used steroids. The defenders of steroids, and I've come under attack from a US website called steroid.com, which is a a steroid peddling website, the defenders of steroids will say bodybuilding can cause heart trouble in any case. I can't absolutely refute that because I'm you know, there hasn't been the research, and in any case, I'm not a medical expert. But there's certainly enough anecdotal evidence, and there's certainly enough strong views from doctors who've dealt with a lot of cases to suggest that there's a serious health issue here and a, and a problem that is is going to catch up with us in the future.
0: OK, well, we'll in, changing tack slightly... Um, What's, what's your approach to writing? Are you a writer with a rigid regime, or do you write, sort of, as and when?
1: I wrote over the line uh, whilst I was also doing a day job, and therefore it was a case of slotting in the writing as and when I could. And you have to get yourself into a, a relaxed state in order to be creative and, and you know, for the, for the ideas, for the story to, to sort of begin to bubble to the surface. Having said that, once you get to the stage where you've got the shape of the thing, you've got the plot, you're you're clear about the characters, you've, you've got the ideas more or less together, at that point you do then need to be very rigorous and structured about simply getting the writing done. And my view about it was to try and create chunks of time where I could really bury myself in the writing and churn out a lot of words. And I wasn't too worried if those words weren't, I'm not one of these writers who fusses about every phrase as they go along. I try and get some momentum into the writing and there there was one week where I actually went away, sort of closeted closeted myself away for about seven days and I wrote about 12,000 words in a week and I really got some momentum into it and okay, when I came back uh, later and did some redrafting in the, you know, the second and third drafts, obviously some of that needed to be polished but but the bulk of it was good because it had momentum and in a thriller you need to have momentum
0: definitely yeah yeah well i understand you're working on a new novel um you able to give us any teasers on that front
1: i am working on something it's still very embryonic you know i've got a i've got a clear idea of what i want to do and i've got a a rough plan for it and i've started working on some of the characters but i'm not at actually at the writing stage yet, but the, the gist of it is is a story that looks at the whole issue of privacy and the effect that basically police snooping has on perfectly innocent people and their lives and it links together the, the question of the Human Rights Act today and all the controversy around intrusion into people's privacy, where you draw the line, what circumstances, under what circumstances you know, should the police be spying on people effectively, and who should give the say-so for that. Uh, so it looks at it in the modern context, but it also connects it through a story, a family story, to McCarthyism.
0: Thanks very much, Steve. It's, uh, it's been great speaking with you.
1: And that's all for now. Thanks to Steve Howell. His book, Over the
0: Line, is available now from all good bookshops. Remember, you can refer to a full transcription of this interview at thecardiffreader.com. Please do follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and all the rest of it. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.